Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Thursday morning. We have all your NBA offseason action right here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Jared Weiss and I'm joined by Mike Vorkanov with Andrew Schleck pushing the buttons behind the scenes. And don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. You can subscribe now and save by going to theathletic.com slash daily ding where you can receive an all-access subscription for just $1 a week. Sports are back. You don't want to miss all the breaking stories on your favorite teams, especially the kind of stuff we're about to get into here on today's show with Mike. So just go to theathletic.com slash daily ding and you can receive an all access subscription for just a dollar a week. So coming up on today's show, Drew Holiday, he's available by trade. Uh, We got some escrow talk, but first we're going to talk about Leon Rose. He's running the Knicks. He used to run the NBA from outside of the team sphere of influence. So he's had he's had a very interesting story to his career. And Mike Vorkanov, he's put together the complete story. He covers the Knicks for us. He covers the Leon Rose rise to success beat for us. So, Mike, tell me about the story that you have coming out on The Athletic. Uh, well, it's a it's a profile of Leon Rose, who is both, I think, well-known and also unknown to some degree. Um, he was a high-powered CAA agent up until March 2nd when he took over the Knicks as their new team president. And uh, it looks at how he got to this point. Um, and, uh, you know, just the person who's taking over the Knicks at this uh I want to say crucial time in their franchise, but they have had many crucial times in their franchise history, but who they're, you know, who James Dolan is turning to now to see if he can be the person uh, who finally revamps them in a way that they can be a a playoff team and a title contender. And it's just trying to understand Leon Rose really um, and who the Knicks fans are getting now to run their favorite team. So before we get into how he's going to run the team, his, tell me more about his origins. I mean, he, he was the super agent at CAA, for a long time he had Allen Iverson was kind of his first marquee client then of course LeBron became his client he took Rich Paul under his wing until eventually they broke off to form clutch uh but Leon I mean he had he was one of the most impactful people in the NBA over this period yeah but it's really interesting you know in a 10-year period he went from an NBA agent, a guy who, a, a South Jersey lawyer who wanted, uh, it seems like desperately to be an NBA agent. And he had one client, Rick Brunson, who was playing in Australia and kind of always the, you know, 16th man on the roster type of non-guaranteed deal. Um, and that was in like 1997. And that was the year he also got his first, uh, first round pick, uh, an Australian named Chris Anstey. Um, and a decade later, you know, he landed at CAA, co-running their basketball division as CA sports got off the ground. He was the guy that was chosen by the CA uh, sports higher ups. And that was just kind of a momentous decade for him and where he went, you know, almost in in succession, um, piling up candidates going from Rick Brunson to Eddie Jones, to Allen Iverson, to, you know, Rip Hamilton, LeBron James and landing at CAA and, and having his own kind of, um, little fiefdom of the CA of the uh, basketball agent world. And it's kind of, it was kind of crazy in some way. Like, you know, this, this was a guy who had this crazy fast rise in his career and he really just built himself up uh, from nothing in that industry um, to being one of the big players. You know, it's really interesting that he was the one to take over CAA because it's hard to remember for a lot of people, but I remember this and this was, I think 
I was probably still in college when this was happening. This is before I was even covering the league. But CAA was this massive Hollywood firm, but they weren't involved in sports representation. Sports representation was pretty much kind of a boutique industry that was mostly these agents that started their own firms and they were kind of separate from all the big Hollywood firms like WME and CAA and stuff like that. So what, what was it about Leon that made him the guy for CAA to pick as they made this foray into sports? You know, CAA, when, when they got into it, um, as you said, they're, they're the kind of this powerhouse in Hollywood. Right. And so when they decided they had to go into, they want to go into sports, um, they, you know, from what I've been told, they didn't want to, I don't know how to put this. They didn't want to get all the way into the uh, occasionally sleazy, slimy world of agenting, uh, as I was told. And so they're looking for someone who had a, a more reputable reputation, who they thought was more above the fray uh, than most, you know, on that relative scale. And so they looked to Leon, who they heard good things about, uh, and picked them out. He was running his uh, one-man shop in South Jersey at the time. He was kind of racking up uh, people in Philadelphia. He's a you know, long-time like, Temple booster, uh, big Temple fan, has a good relationship with John Chaney. And, you know, he had good relationships in that area, and he was building himself into this national guy, right? Like when you land LeBron James, uh, you become a national guy. But he was still, you know, somewhat regional to some degree. And so they chose him as the one of the guys that they would um, invest in to get their basketball division off the ground. Um, and you know, it's really interesting because, you know, in like the year 2000, he had, you know, Rick Brunson and Eddie Jones and Aaron McKee. And, um, I think he had landed Rip Hamilton by then. And so it just went from regional and to, to national so quickly. Um, and it was interesting that they chose him uh, amongst all others. I mean, for one, Aaron McKee's a legend, so let's not downplay that. Two, <laughs> Temple coach uh, Aaron McKee. <laughs> two, my favorite fact related to Philadelphia from the story is, it, well, actually, I'll let you tell the people. <laughs> you know exactly where I'm going with this. Uh, I don't. You're going to have to clue me in. Go ahead. So it's he is a member of the Philadelphia Sports Jewish Hall oh. of Fame. Yes, yes. So I, well, Leon Rose has, uh, he, you know, he played basketball in high school. He wanted to be a basketball coach. Um, that didn't work out for him. He actually was an assistant at Rutgers uh, Camden after he graduated law school for two years. He was an assistant coach at D3 Rutgers Camden. Um, but, you know, he, he kept playing basketball for a while. He was, uh, he built a you know, part of a powerhouse team in the Jewish Basketball League, which he was later inducted into the Philly Sports Hall of Fame for that team, I believe. Um, he's a member of the Jewish Basketball, uh, the Jewish uh, Sports Hall of Fame. He once coached a championship winning team in the Maccabee Games. I believe his son was on that team. Um, so, you know, he is probably, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know if he's one of the more prominent um, Jewish uh, sports people, or, but he's definitely one of them in the NBA. And I'd love to talk to him about it sometime. But you know how the Knicks uh, media policies are. Yeah, you're not allowed to acknowledge that somebody's a mensch. It's completely against policy. <laughs> so, so okay, Leon is now taking over the Knicks, and he didn't do it alone. He brought World Wide West with him. And when I was a kid, World Wide West was this huge phenomenon. And then he went to CAA and joined Leon and he kind of disappeared. We didn't really hear much about him anymore. And now it was for me a surprise to see him going to the Knicks and it being a big deal because I was like, wow, I haven't heard the name World Wide West in like a decade. So tell me more about what's been going on with World Wide West and Leon over the last few years and what they're doing now with the Knicks. 
It was a surprise uh, for me, too, to see him join the Knicks. If you remember when Leon Rose first took the job in fe- February unofficially, I think our uh, Sham Sharani reported that um, West decided not to join him in the front office, right? Um, and then in, I believe in May, whoop, there he joins the Knicks front office, and he, he's in an official capacity for a franchise, which just seems like maybe a place no one could have imagined him a decade ago, uh, considering his his reputation, his kind of, you know, he was the boogeyman of the NBA to some people. He was Uncle West to others, right? Uh, to Leon, he's always been this longtime friend. I think they've known each other, I think I want to say since the 80s, right? They grew up together, two South Jersey guys who made it really big. Um, and so it's almost appropriate that he joins Leon in the front office, you know, I think an early uh, defining factor of his tenure with the Knicks so far is just having people he's known for a long time and comfortable with uh, joining him with the Knicks. You know, he hired Tom Thibodeau, who was a former client of his, who, uh, you know, he's been a friend to for, I don't think, I would say like 20 years. Um, He joined the Knicks because he's had a long relationship with James Dolan. And so now he and World Wide West, William Wesley, are, are trying to bring the Knicks back up to the top together. Um, and, and that's kind of been a through line through uh, Rose's life and his career. You know, he makes really good, strong relationships with people and he keeps them for a long time. Um, people people do say he's a great friend that way. And so um, it's only appropriate that, that they're trying to bring the Knicks back. So how are they going to bring the Knicks back? What what are they going to do? I mean, obviously, I think the first question with any sort of Knicks front office discussion is how much power and authority does the GM have to actually shape the team how they want? Um, so besides that question, I guess, what are they going to do that's going to be unique from the previous administrations? Yeah, and that's a that's a good question. I mean, you know, some of the conjecture uh, in league circles right now, as I'm sure you've heard, Jared, is just, you know, there's some people who think that um, they're going to try to kind of leverage all the relationships that they've had in the years before and try to, you know, bring a star to New York, right? You know, um, Leon has strong ties to Kentucky program. So does uh, William Wesley. Um, you know, they hired Kenny Payne, who's a beloved Kentucky assistant coach, to be an assistant coach on the staff. Um, and so, you know, there's some thought that along with the CAA ties that, you know, maybe this year, maybe next year, uh, they'll be able to bundle up and, and get a star of some sort, you know, yeah, maybe they can get John to Wall to Marcus Cousins and Eric Bledsoe if they're lucky. Uh, yeah, I, I think <laughs> they can pull off two thirds of that trifecta this off season if they want. Yeah, they could probably but get them it, all if they really wanted to. <laughs> yeah, but no one can really say for certain. The, the thing about Leon Rose is that he is extremely tight-lipped. He plays things close to the vest, which is a perfect fit for the garden, um, where you know they're very neurotic about things getting out. Uh, they are, I, I want to say, maybe outside of like Oklahoma City, the most opaque organization in the NBA um, for different reasons than the Thunder. And... So this fits in very well with the Knicks brand. And so I don't know what they're going to try to do. You know, I I think maybe Occam's razor, they just take things slowly at first, build through the draft, make some uh, free agent signings and try to take small gradual leaps before uh, trying to get a star in, whether it's free agency or a big trade, or maybe they go and and they trade for Chris Paul this offseason and try to bring uh, respectability to the garden back immediately. And it's hard to it's hard to get a read on it. You know, he's not an executive with a track record, right? You can't say, okay, this is what he did in his previous job. And those could be some clues of what he wants to do and the players that he prefers. He's a complete blank slate. And, um, I I think the Knicks have been good so far at 
hiding what their intentions are. And so I can't say for certain yet. It's going to be very interesting. It's, it's, um, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do. And, uh, if anyone can figure out ahead of time, uh, just because of how close to the vest are playing things. It is really interesting that they went with him because it seems like it's kind of a direct response to the past couple times they struck out in free agency where they just, for some for some reason, James Dolan couldn't figure out what was part of the presentation that wasn't working with these guys. And of course, he doesn't own any mirrors, so he had to look outward. And I thought it was really interesting that he decided to go with someone like Leon Rose, because what better person to try to sell other players on coming to New York than the guy that used to represent them and the guy that used to be the one that gave them guidance. So I do think it's a really fascinating approach from that perspective. Um, and it seems the approach seems like it's a little bit more focused on how to sell New York to the biggest potential players rather than finding a GM that's going to meticulously build up your roster and, you know, kind of like the like the Daryl Morey approach of, you know, making tons of little micro moves to try to build up the team. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how this front office manages, because I think one of the strengths of the Knicks has been that while they've struggled with mediocrity for a while, they've been pretty good at finding nice little, you know, like good players off of the scrap heap that can be decent rotation guys, guys like Damian Dotson and Alonzo Trier, guys that could be playable at the back end of most rotations. So um, I, I hope that they don't lose that factor because it's obviously part of the ecosystem that you need to have. You need to be able to develop quality young players and find good budget options just as much as you need to be able to swing for the fences. Um, but as long as they don't sign five power forwards at the same time, they should be okay in the future. <laughs> I, I don't think that it, you know it's incompatible to, I think a definite part of what they're trying to do is to rebuild their reputation, right? Like as we saw in the last decade, really, of trying to land you know, LeBron James in 2010, that didn't work. They traded for Carmelo Anthony, but they can never get any any big-time player to join him, right? Like, that relationship with Kristaps Porzingis soured before he was out of his rookie contract, right? Like, that's crazy. Um, they couldn't, they struck out in 2019 free agency. And so I think it's definitely a part of what they're doing now is to become more, uh, I wouldn't say cool, to steal Kevin Durant's words. Um, you know, like they want to be that team, I think, that players want to go to. I think it's been said as much from the many media appearances by Steve Stout over the last year since he signed on as a, a consultant, a brand consultant or whatever it is. And so hiring the guy who helped run CAA basketball and hiring World Wide West, I think, is a play towards that. But it doesn't mean that they're not also trying to um, do some other things that may be more conventional, slow play growth. Um, you can do both at the same time. Look at the Nets, right? That's kind of what they did. That's what allowed them to sign Durant and Kyrie eventually. But it's going to be interesting to see in New York, uh, patience has really not been granted to many executives over the last 20 years since James Dolan took over. So it's going to be interesting to see how much patience Leon Rose gets and uh, whether he's conscious of the fact that he might not have a lot of it to work with. You know, I forgot that they have Steve Stout on on payroll as well. It's it's kind of crazy out there. They're gonna next. They're gonna have Tommy Hilfiger and uh, get probably every single corporate giant from each uh, sector of the economy in there. Um, so, I guess my last question for you on this subject would be: what What was the most interesting little tidbit that you that you had in your story that you would actually at least want to spoil for the listeners at this point that you think will absolutely make it so they have to listen? 
<laughs> it was actually something that I I didn't include in the story, and I maybe I'll make a story later. I, I'm <laughs> so Leon Rose is apparently a really good basketball player, you know, an amateur basketball player, but like he's a, apparently like pretty like ornery and you know pretty like aggressive. And I was talking to Rick Brunson for the story, and he said that he used to have like he used to play in the summer league, and he put together a team, and he had Leon on it. And uh, Leon, he says, led the league in technical fouls, um, which I just kind of loved. I think just kind of says something about his competitiveness and how he played basketball. And everyone says, you know, he's Leon's probably about like five eight, something like that. And uh, but everyone says he's a good shooter and he still plays basketball a lot, or at least he did in you know in the last few decades before this. And I just kind of was interested by his basketball playing career um, as he was making his uh, his rise up the ranks. The fact that he kept playing in all these leagues and all these games and uh, just I don't know seems still really still love the sport even though he never. Uh, you know, made it past, I think, college uh, playing basketball. All right. Well, that's it on noted hothead Leon Rose. We'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Drew Holiday. All right. Let's get to the news. So first off, Shams Jaranya is reporting that Drew Holiday has been openly discussed with several contending teams in trade talks, the Pelicans, they're looking to rebuild around Zion Williamson, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Jackson Hayes, blah, blah, blah. Don't have room for a really solid veteran like Drew, so they want to get more young assets. We were just talking about the possibility of the Knicks trading for Chris Paul. Do you think the Knicks would make sense to trade for Drew Holiday? I, I mean, I don't, I don't see it. Drew's, I think he's 30. He's got a year left on his contract. Unless he's, um, you know, he really wants to live in the New York dining scene. He just loves pizza, but has never had a chance uh, <laughs> to get it on a consistent basis. I, I just, I don't think that's a fit for him. And it would be weird for them to try to um, use their precious assets and those picks that they've accumulated on a guy who has a year left and really is just doesn't put them, I don't know, any anything more than like the eighth seed uh, with several moves to go. Uh, to to cash out like that. All right. Well, there's going to be a lot of teams that are interested in him, and we know Philadelphia is going to be a great fit for him to to potentially go back there. Um, There's just, I don't know, it's kind of, he's one of those guys that could fit on pretty much every team in the league. Is Is there a team out there that you think would be the most interesting fit for him? I would actually be interested to see him on Boston. Um, Really? I think that would be an interesting fit. I've been getting asked about that uh, ever since I woke up an hour ago today. Um, and I the thing is, is that they have Kemba Walker or Marcus Smart who kind of give you what Drew Holiday does on each end as two separate players. But obviously, Drew Holiday isn't as the high level score that uh, Kemba Walker is. So if they were going to trade out of Kemba Walker, then that would make sense for Boston. But um, it's going to need to be a three-way deal because obviously New Orleans isn't looking to take on Kemba Walker at this point. Um, Wouldn't a better fit to be to trade off of Marcus Smart? I mean, I feel like you can create a deal around that where New Orleans gets Marcus Smart, who I think would fit well there, and, and Boston gets a better version of him. Um, or maybe even around Gordon Hayward if New Orleans is interested in uh, kind of that one-year salary balloon, but also someone who can contribute and help them make the playoff run. Well, so if New Orleans is trading Drew Holiday, I don't see them looking to get somebody like Gordon Hayward. Smart is a little bit younger, um, and he does. I mean, I don't think I don't think Smart's going to bring to the table anything that Drew Holiday doesn't already bring for them. So I just struggle to see where the value play is for New Orleans. I guess if the if the Celtics include all those draft picks, that yeah. makes sense. 
But the, the one thing, though, is that as great of a defender as Drew Holiday is, he doesn't provide you quite the versatility to play big the way that Marcus Smart does. So amazingly, I do I, I feel like the Celtics would almost rather have Marcus Smart than Drew Holiday because of, or at least Marcus Smart and all those assets than Drew Holiday and try to go somewhere else just because they would be probably a little bit too small at that point. But if they're also moving off of Gordon Hayward in some other situation, then you could see that happening. So there's definitely some avenues to explore. And when you're listening to the show, I should have a story out exploring all those avenues a little bit further. So that will be definitely an interesting scenario there with New Orleans. Uh, the Rockets, hey, maybe they could be a contender, but they did at least make one move. According to Shams, again, they're nearing an agreement with John Lucas to be an assistant coach under Stephen Silas on their rebuilt coaching staff. John Lucas was already there beforehand in a kind of a smaller capacity. Now he steps into a bigger capacity. And so, Mike, I'm curious, do you think that the Rockets are going to have a huge overhaul now that they've replaced Mike D'Antoni with Steven Silas. Silas, someone who built a somewhat similar system that was extremely effective in Dallas around Luka Doncic. I mean, maybe in the, in the coaching staff or the organization, but I, I would guess they're kind of, you know, uh, tied up and roster wise, unless they make a drastic move by trading, um, you know, either James Harden, which would really be just kind of blowing up the organization or trading Russell Westbrook, which is, I think would be a hard, hard move to make because um, I don't know how many teams want to make that trade and, and acquire him considering the contract that he has. I find it interesting because, you know, it seems like that's also kind of a way to um, make James Harden happy. I think it was reported, I forget by whom, that uh, John Lucas was the choice of James Harden and other players in, in that head coaching search. So by giving him a more prominent role on the staff, I think that could be a way to making sure that, that Harden is happy where things are. Yeah, and uh, I mean, uh, Kelly Eco, our Rockets reporter, has kind of been all over the John Lucas beat for a while now. And we know that John Lucas has kind of been the heartbeat of that organization and is the guy that the players really connect to. Obviously, obviously, he was a great player himself in the NBA, had a long coaching career back in the 90s as well. So, I mean, he's a very well-experienced guy. So it is a great hire. So I'm, I'm excited to see how the Rockets look under these two guys that – have a ton of experience, but it's been a while since they've had a really prominent role in the league. Um, and Silas is just someone that's been so well regarded for his offensive ingenuity that, you know, the Rockets, they're a team that they they developed an incredibly efficient, monolithic offensive system, but they're a team that could use a little bit more versatility and variability. They could, for instance, have more off-ball action instead of just standing there and watching. They could maybe use James Harden in a few different ways besides just being a downhole pick-and-roll guy or isolation guy. So I'm pretty excited to see how they mix things up. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting really to see. I think that that's going to be the bigger question is how much they stay with the offensive system that they've had the last few years and building a roster to that account or if they deviate from it um, and which path they go. I, I think that could really determine um, the next few years for the Rockets and and just uh, what what life will look like in the post-Daryl Morey world. 
All right, well, let's finish on the most exciting news of the day coming from Shams again that the NBA and the MBPA are negotiating player salary escrow, a three-year withholding period with an offer of 25% escrow from the league side, 15% escrow from the MBPA side. I know this is the stuff that gets people excited, so I wanted to make sure that we got it into the show. I'm sure they'll compromise at 20%, considering that's how negotiations are supposed to work, right? Um, This obviously is not that interesting for most people, uh, unless you're an actuary or something like that, but it will have a pretty massive impact on whether or not we have a lockout here, which it seems like is not going to be happening. Um, And it looks like we're going to be having the season starting on December 22nd as the current momentum shifts. So we're going to be playing games in a month and a half here. And I can't wait because the Knicks are going to have some sort of new look. The Rockets are going to try to somehow mix things up a little bit. Drew Holiday will probably be probably be somewhere else, but we'll still be here on the Daily Ding. So, Mike, where can we find all of your fantastic work? You can find it the same place uh, everyone can find your fantastic work at theathletic.com. And that's going to do it for us for today's show. Don't forget about the other basketball shows across the Athletic Podcast Network. We still have your favorite shows like the Athletic NBA show. We've got No Dunks. We've got House of Strauss. And we have over a dozen team-specific shows available from some of your favorite athletic beat writers. And don't forget, you got to follow us on the app so you can get notifications for new episodes. And you can utilize that podcast episode comment section. And if you're not a member of The Athletic, you're in luck because you could just get all of our podcasts ad-free, plus some fantastic writing across all major sports, all for that super $1 low price at theathletic.com slash daily ding. And of course, you never know when these promos end. You never know when society's going to end. So you got to capitalize. Get there soon at theathletic.com slash daily ding. And as always, thank you for waking up with us. We love you. We miss you. We can't wait to talk more games with you very soon. Mike, take us out of here with a quick little ding ding. Ding ding. <laughs>